Holiday. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Gateways to the Smoke Gate. This podcast is about America's most visited national park, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and the surrounding towns. This area is filled with ancient natural beauty, a deep storied history, and a rich mountain culture that we will explore with weekly episodes. I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, a man of the world, but also with deep roots in these mountains. My family has lived in the Great Smokies for over 200 years. My business is in travel, but my heart is in culture. Now this episode is a dedicatorism that you can experience in the most Smoky Mountains. We'll explore some festivals, foraging for food, wildflowers, and, and fireflies. There's a lot going on. The Great Smoky Mountains is the most biodiverse park in the national park system. Biological diversity or biodiversity means the number and variety of different types of animals, plants, fungi, and other organ organism, organisms in a location or habitat. And with, uh, the, the, with the Southern Appalachian Mountains encompassing over 800 square miles no other area of equal size and temperate client that can match the park's amazing diversity. Over 19,000 species have been documented in the park. And scientists believe there's an additional 80,000, 100,000 species that may live here. This means that there is an incredible diversity of food and medicinal herbs that can be foraged from the Smoky Mountain area. The reason is that mountain, mountains, climates, and weather. Um, the, the park is dominated by plant-covered, gently contoured mountains that, have formed, that were performed perhaps 300 million years ago. In fact, they might, they, the Smokies are among the oldest mountain ranges in the world. And the elevations in the park range from 850 feet to 6,643 feet. This range at altitude mimics the client habitat changes you would experience driving north or south across the eastern United States, say from Georgia to Maine. So plants and animals common in the southern United States thrive in the lowland of the Smokies, while species common in the northern states find suitable habitat in the higher elevations. Some hundred species of native trees find homes in the Smokies more than any other North American national park. I think there's more species of trees in, in the, this park than there is in all of Europe. Um, almost 95% of the park is forested and about 25% of that area is old growth forest. There's over 1500 uh, flowering plant species that have been identified in the park. And, the, and, and in terms of animals, the park is also is a, is a center of diversity for salamanders. It's home to more than 200 species of birds, 68 species of mammals, 67 native fish species, 39 species of reptiles, and 43 species of amphibians. Mollusks, millipedes, and mushrooms each re record diversity here. Uh, the north-south or south orientation of the Appalachian chain allows the Smokies to become a refuge for many species of plant, plants and animals that were displaced from their northern homes by glaciers in the last eight, ice age around 10,000 years ago. In terms of weather, the park's abundant rainfall and high summertime humidity provides excellent growing conditions. 
And the Smokies, the average annual rainfall varies from approximately 55 inches in the valley to over 85 inches on some of the peaks. And the relative humidity in the peak during the growers season is about the twice that of the uh, Rocky Mountain region. That's why it's called the Smokies. We got, it's a fairly humid environment and a lot of that turns into fog and mist. Um, it's not unusual for us to get rainfall about every day, but it's not one of those long-term drizzling every day, all day, long time rainfall. We get these sort of clouds come over the mountain, dump a bunch of water, and then it clears right back up. So, you know, you'll have a day of sunshine, then you have an hour or two of, of a rain, and then boy, it's sunshine all over again. Extensive work and research is being done to preserve the biodiversity of the Smokies. And there's environmental factors such as air quality, water quality, and non-native species that are being monitored. And fires are being used as tools to maintain a healthy, healthy ecosystem. The, they used to have a real problem with air quality and, and the fog mixing with the mist to actually uh, you know, start creating some smog-like uh, conditions, but it's, it's actually been dramatically improved. And I was reading that uh, the, world, um, the World Organization for you know, the, uh, the, uh, the, the uh, environmental work being done around the world has given the, what's, the, what's been done in the Smoky Mountains great, uh, great marks and, uh, and thinks that the things are being done really properly. Um, so how do we celebrate this sort of thing and, 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 you know, and develop upon that? And, you know, and we talked about ecotourism. Uh, one of the things that I, that's uh, pretty, pretty special, I think, is every year there's a spring festival called Greening Up the Mountains in Silva, North Carolina. It's a free festival that celebrates spring in the mountains uh, where there's the greening of the leaves, that, uh, the greening of the leaves that worked their way up the Great Smokies, but it also celebrates the greening of the environment with them. And it has lots of info about sustainable living and presentations by environmental growth, growth groups. Silva is just a beautiful destination. Um, uh, downtown is just you're a really quaint, lovely downtown. It has lots of, I think we counted there was three bookstores on Main Street in a town that's you know maybe got 400 people. Uh, and so it's a good place for a getaway. The, it was incorporated in 1889, and it's begun to attract many uh, new residents because of uh, there, there's a lot of rich local soil, which is perfect for farming and agriculture. So there's a lot of local farming there. Um, and it's, uh, it's uh, you know, at its beginning, it started growing fairly rapid, rapidly, and it, had a, it quickly got a post office, a school, a train depot, and a town center. And it became the county seat of Jackson County in 1913. And it's got this most beautiful courthouse that was constructed around that time up on a, up on a hill. Uh, and it became a center of commerce. Now it's just over 2000 residents and it's became a haven for tourists because it's got a lot of Southern charm. It's got a lot of great activities uh, and it's a stunning natural surroundings. When they had the eclipse that you could see in the Southern parts of the of the United States and in the mountains, we were able to get a, a Silva was right in the epicenter and you could get a hundred percent view of the eclipse. And they did this wonderful program. We went there, you were able to set out armchairs on the streets and they had a presentation by local professors at Western Carolina that actually knew about this stuff, about what it meant. Uh, then they had music. It's, it's just, they do things right. So, and it has a lot of natural, of course, natural outdoor things to do there. Lots of water sports. Um, 
and there's a lot of guides in town. The Navajo National Forest is full of things to do there. It's right near there. Um, and it has a lot of unique shops and, and there's a lot of bargain shops as well as the, of the, um, the bookstores and, and touristy sort of shops. It's got lots of music and entertainment. It's got several, I think, I consider them world-class little uh, restaurants there that do farm-to-table food. Uh, it's really delicious. When we're down in that area, Silva is always a stop. My wife just goes, goes crazy about a place called, I think it's called Guadalupe, um, which does really interesting Mexican-inspired uh, food. It also has some local wineries and breweries, and it has lots of tasting to tours. And it has a lot of uh, local events and festivals and that like the highly anticipated greening up of the mountains, which is usually held at the end of April, but this year is gonna be in August. So while I, I was trying to focus on the spring things, I just found out that COVID has made it uh, be an August event. It's been drawing thousands of people to, the, to Silver for over 20 years. It's free and it's ideal for families and groups of fun. And it's, uh, it's really a celebration of the revitalization and growth of spring and of the Smoky Mountains in general, the environmentalism that's been going on for a long time. And you'll meet new people. There's lots of people that you can become friends with. And there's all sorts of games and vendors and artists and live entertainments. And there's plenty of food. You can definitely get into some great conversations with local. They're very friendly. Uh, there's an opportunity to learn about the regions, about what's being done, about the outdoor activities. It's, uh, it's a really, it's a, I would say it's a great place to start learning about the mountains uh, from, a, you know, from an environmental perspective. So you can go to uh, greeningupthemountains.com to find more information about that event. Um, also in the, another little town in the mountains is a little town called Andrews, North Carolina. And it has a wealth of his, history along with the interesting turn of the century architecture for such a little out of the way town. It's a little out of the way mountain town. Uh, it wasn't incorporated until 1905 and it didn't get its start. Uh, it didn't really get its start until 1890 when the railroad was completed. It, um, it's, um, it's a, has a nice laid back feel now, right? It's got a, a real small town, a good small mountain town atmosphere, and, but it has an outstanding uh, backdrop. Uh, there's a valley river that borders on the north side of town, and beyond that valley flow, flow, flows uh, uh, flows towards the slopes of the S Snowbird Mountains. It's it's Andrews is like in this valley that's really vastly flat, surrounded by all the the the, the, the Smoky Mountains, and it has the rolling foothills and uh, spacious hideaways and things like that. It has a historic downtown. With brick buildings and storefronts that turn around to the you know early 20th century, it's got a lot of historic homes in the downtown district. Reminding us of times you know when it was uh, really prosperous and that sort of you know early American way of being prosperous. So it on April 24th has a street fair and nature expo, and it celebrates uh, Earth Day. Uh, and it uh, sweeps out the winter cobwebs and it opens up the downtown to vendors and nature lovers. Uh, and you can learn about gardening and the butterflies and water conservation, local history, and much more. And while you shop, there's a lot of great stuff at the numerous local vendors. So you can go to visit Andrews, North Carolina, NC, visit andrewsnc.com slash spring fling to find out more about that. And they have that every year and they've been having it for a while. And it's a worthwhile to get sort of that a real 
in the middle of the Smoky Mountain area is it's 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 in, I think it's in between Murphy and um, and I mean in between Bryson City and Cherokee or around that area, um, and it's uh, it, it gives you a real taste of, of old time um, uh, uh, Smoky Mountain Americana. So when we come back, we'll be talking about wildflowers. Howdy, this is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast. Uh, and I'm now talking about wildflowers. So every spring there is an explosion of these, I mean, they're just spectacular wildflowers in the Great Smoky Mountains. Uh, with over 1,600 species of flowering plants, there's certainly no shortage of opportunity to discover why the Great Smoky Mountains National Park is called the Wildflower National Park. You notice I like to say wildflower. <laughs> uh, it's wild thing. Uh, no, wildflower. I want to sing that song, right? Um, but from late March until early May, there's just a flush of these spring wildflowers that liven up the ground cover. Uh, and um, because the hardwood you know, trees are still without leaves, they're taking advantage of all that sunlight. So you know, you have sort of budded trees, but not particularly dense. And then all these wildflowers are just everywhere blooming. Um, and uh, they, they, they basically track upslope up as the season proceeds because it gets warmer. So you get, there's a lot, you get a lot of window um, to see wildflowers. It just goes higher up the mountain as it gets warmer up the mountain. Uh, so it goes March through May, you know, and then the May, basically into June. Uh, a little bit. And these flowers include like little white or pink blossoms of spring beauties, the, um, the, the you know, the, the bigger and showier blooms of things like of trilliums. Uh, and there's level of white petals and golden stamens of uh, bloodroot. There's, um, there are feathery white plumes dripping, tipping the drooping fronds of a false Solomon seal. And there's the daintier white flower spikes of a foam flower and the little white bells hugging the stems of bishop's caps. I mean, there's just a lot of different things. A striking early wildfire, they can cl cluster in great numbers is the trout lily, which brandishes an ornate yellow flower and mottled green leaves suggestive of a trout pattern, uh, which is another you know, signature of the mountains is the trout. And then another showy spring wildfire common in the lower and middle elevations is the columbine which is hanging red and yellow blooms. Two similar looking and colorful named flowers that out overlap in their spring emergence are Dutchman breeches and squirrel cones, which both have white lobed blooms and intricate foliage. And another eye-catching snowy-hued flower is the fringed Felicia. Felicia, Felicia. I, I, you know, I sort of looked that up how to pronounce it. I just now realized that, but it's called, it's P-H-A-L-E-C-I-A which tends to grow up higher in the mountain forests. And then there's a lot, there's a really widespread and very arresting flowers is the Jack in the pulpit, which has, you know, those large striped fold over sheath and it's called the spathe that forms the pulpit. And then there's lots of violets and wild strawberries and bleeding hearts. There's, there's just a lot of spring blooms that erupt, erupt from the dust and the 
Great Smokies. And it's, it's almost mind boggling, the variety and profusion. And it definitely pays to bring a wildfire field guide along to on your moseys. Um, and I think we will have on our website uh, a link to some books that you can go and find out. Um, and then if you, you can also check out the National Park Service site for specifics on blooming patterns for different flower species. And uh, so many of these lower and mid-elevation trails on the Smoky Mountains will have these great outstanding wildflower shows. So there's a lot of great walks you can take in the spring to see these. Uh, and then later in the spring and early in the summer, you can get on the higher routes and, and see it yet again, but in, you know, with slightly different. So it, it can go for a long time. So I, I've got some suggested wildfire walks for you. There's the Oconaleptee River Trail, which is an easy three-mile round-tripped riverside rock that begins at the Oconaleptee Visitor Center, which is located two miles north of Cherokee, North Carolina, on US 441. Another great um, trail is the Deep Creek Trail. And that's an easy walk that begins at the end of Deep Creek Road, which is about a half mile beyond the Deep Creek Deep Creek Campground turnoff. And it's this Deep Creek area is located north of Bryson City. So you go through the town of Bryson. You can see two waterfalls, Indian Creek, Town Branch, and uh, by walking on this two mile round trip. Uh, I think I've mentioned that, that, um, that trail before, but it's worth it for the, for the wildflowers. The Gregory Ridge Trail is the, is the, first, the first two miles of this uh, trail offers some really great wildflower viewing. You take the Caves, Cades Cove Loop Road just past the Cable Mill area, and then you turn onto Forge Creek Road and follow it to the end. There is the Canante Fork Trail, and it's the climbs free, it climbs for three miles to intersect with the Thomas Divide Trail on Thomas Ridge. You don't need to go the whole way to see some really great wildflowers. The first mile or two have the best display, especially in the spring. And it, it begins about an eighth of a mile north of the Kepart Prong footbridge on the Newfoundland Gap Road, which is known as US 441, and it's eight miles north of the Oconaliftee Visitor Center. There's the Schoolhouse Gap Trail. It's an easy trail that climbs about 2.2 miles from Laurel Creek Road to Schoolhouse Gap. This route includes a wide array of spring and summer flowers, including some very unusual species. It's about, the trail is about 3.9 miles west of the Townsend Y on the road to Cades Cove. There's the Little River Trail. It's a relatively wide and level foot footpath, which follows the scenic Little River towards its headwaters. It's located on the side road, which begins just before you enter Elkmont Camp Road. And then there's, uh, it's the first two miles of the, of that trail is a, is a, provides a good wildfire, good wildflower viewing uh, from mid-March to April. And if you add in the Cumber, Cucumber Gap and Jake Tree Trails, Jake's Creek Trails, you can make a pleasant five mile loop hike. Then there's the Middle Prong Trail. Uh, and it's a walk on an old road. You'll, you'll reward the hiker, hiker with flowers as well as waterfall. And again, it's, it's not, it, it starts at the end of Tremont Row, Row, which begins just west of the Townsend Wide. There is uh, a few other trails. I'll, put, I'll be putting this information up on our website. Um, but I wanted to mention some of the um, events and festivals to celebrate the wildfires of the Smokies. 
know, the premier event is the spring wildflower pilgrimage. That is, um, it's, it's been around for quite a long time. It has, um, I think it started in 1950. And its underlying mission and philosophy is simply to bring people together to, to fellowship, form connections, bonds, and friendships. Their common interests on focus on spreading curiosity, knowledge, appreciation, and education of natural history, biology, ecology, conservation, and land management. And they've always you know, been a very open and educational uh, for anybody that wants to come and to learn from experts in the field. Uh, it's an annual event and it features professionally guided walks, exhibits, and many other learning opportunities to explore the region's rich natural and cultural research, resources. And very recently, over the last few years, it's had over 900 pilgrims from 32 states, 32 states, and several countries that join them. And it includes programs on fungi, ferns, wildflowers, trees, and shrubs, medicinal plants, insects, salamanders, and snakes, birds, animals, mammals, and journaling, art, and photography, and park history. I think that it's going to be virtual this year, but there are some associated programs that you could take. Uh, but it's it's going to be. I, I don't. I anticipate it going every year from now until I'm no longer here because it's going on for a long time. And you can go to wildflowerpilgrimage.org to find out more. Another big place to go see flowers in the mountains is the Biltmore Estates in Nashville, North Carolina. It has more than 110,000 flowers uh, blooming in the gardens, fit for a Vanderbilt. It's an annual festival of flowers uh, with the, and the color and fragrance of orchids and thousands of spring bulbs steal the show. You know, the Biltmore Estate was uh, built by George Vanderbilt when he decided he needed a 250 room house in the mountains of Western North Carolina. And he hired a renowned landscape architect, Frederick Law Olmsted, who designed Central Park in New York City to help the state make a statement. So Biltmore Bloom celebrates this natural progression of balloon, balloons dictated by Mother Nature and arranged by Olmsted and the state's current team of expert gardeners. So right now that is, is getting spring is underway, there's a bright sea of yellow daffodils that, that brighten a walled garden. And then there's pansies of every color you can imagine. And it, and it creates a gorgeous feast for the eyes. And then you can experience nearly 1,000 orchids in full bloom, showing off their tropical colors and exotic looks. And then there's a conservatory with lots of, lots of different varieties of species. And then you can also view, visit the Biltmore House, which is a spectacular mansion. I think it's the largest private residence in the United States. As the season goes along, there's gonna be 80,000 tulips. Uh, and then it, uh, it'll transform that walled garden into a floral paradise. Um, and they bloom in purple and pink and white and last three to four weeks before making way for later season blooms in the shrub and azalea gardens. Um, so it's running right now from the April to the end of May. You can go more to find more about it at builtmore.com. Things to do, events, uh, uh, builtmore.com slash things to do, things dash to dash do slash events slash spring. Uh, though I, I suppose if you just go to builtmore.com, you can just look up events and uh, figure out um, what's going on. And, you know, the Biltmore House is just a spectacular event 
a place to go all year round. And um, and the, they have a winery there. It's, I think it's one of the, uh, the most, I think it's actually the most visited winery in the world, if I'm correct. Some of the wines are actually pretty decent. And it has, um, you know, um, you know, there's shops that are associated with it. It's really a, a one or two day of uh, experience to explore and yourself. Lots of arts and, and beautiful artworks and sculptures. So I, I recommend visiting that. It's only about half away, half hour away from Maggie Valley. So if you want to, uh, you know, have a center place to stay, go to the MiddleArkMotel.com there, uh, and then you can go quickly to things like the 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 Spring Fling, then go to the Flower, and then you can go to the Smokies and see the wildflowers. So when we come back, I'm going to talk about fireflies. This is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast. So we're talking fireflies. You know, so spring also brings that an, incre- an incredible natural phenomenon known as synchronous fireflies. And it's a breathtaking show put on by the nature that resembles a psychedelic combination of, of stars falling and fireworks works exploding. It is an immersive experience you will never forget. Tens of thousands of lightning lightning bugs gather in swarms and flash in harmony. In harmony, they're synchronized as the entire forest alternates between light and darkness. And it's right here in the Smoky Mountains is the largest population of synchronous fireflies in the Western Hemisphere. Now, growing up in the mountains, I didn't know all this. Uh, to me, it was fireflies, <laughs> lightning bugs, uh, and we all knew how to hunt for them. The chase, the capture, the release of the lightning bugs, it was all very exciting. I remember spending hours in my grandma's backyard chasing flower fl- fireflies. And later in the backyard area of the Meadowlark Motel, which has got a lot of these beautiful fireflies that come there, and which, be, you know, the Meadowlark became our family home as well as our business. Armed with a mason jar with a lid carefully poked with ice pick holes. It's important to let them breathe, uh, which my dad would put in. My sister and brother and I would chase lightning bugs from dusk until bedtime, which could be three or four hours when I was growing up. I get my, bed, I get my babies now to bed at eight to nine o'clock. I remember I used to stay up at 11, so different world now. <laughs> but we competed for most, the most, the most, competed for the most fireflies, the, the brightest jar and the biggest of all the bugs. And then, and, 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 what, and now this is not what you should do now, but in our, when we were in our, you know, early teens, we also used to smear the poor souls on our, our arms and our white t-shirts so that we could live sort of glow in the dark. Don't let your kids know about that now. Cause it's, uh, you know, it's probably not the right thing to do, but it was uh, something in my childhood, which was a good, you know, four, 50 years ago. Uh, I doubt we ever considered that we were probably interfering with their mating cycle because all this is part of that mating cycle. And hopefully we haven't diminished the, diminished the population too much because of that. So, um, you know, and if you're going to, if you come to, if you come to the metal arc and you want to do it in an in ecologically, uh, you know, uh, benign fashion, bring yourself a mason jar, dampen a paper down, place it inside the jar, and then 
place a piece of burlap over the rim or use an ice, ice pick to poke holes in the metal disc uh, and then lock it into place and then catch the fellows gently. The fire, the fire glow should actually last the evening, but then release them after they've done. Uh, now for the adults, you know, which we, we, at this point, we, most of us listening probably are, I would recommend you serve some Firefly sweet tea vodka over ice with a lemon wedge and a sprint of sprig of mint. Uh, we have a we have our own uh, uh, recipe at the at the metal arc that includes berries and things like that in the sweet tea. It's really great. So um, it's I, I, you can see I'm sort of waxing poetic on these uh, memories because that was. That was one of the one of the, the 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 things we did all summer long. I remember very fondly. It's it's a mountain tradition. I think it's a southern tradition in general. So um, I found you know I like to bring poem and poetry into some of the things I do on these podcasts, and I found this poem to commemorate commemorate my firefly memories. It has a sort of a lament in it, which I, I think is not as applicable anymore, um, but uh, it's still very nice. It's by Cynthia. Buhain Bayelo, and it's called Firefly. Mystified by a tiny firefly, I gazed in childlike trance, the magical flickering lights. Did it carry it in its hands? And then came some more, like earthly stars, they twinkle around the tree trunk's core, fairies dancing in a circle. Fireflies are slowly fading, and I rarely see them now. Our air is suffocating. That is killing them somehow. Will future children see the magic of their beauty or see them in the pictures and no lights that flicker brightly? I think that, you know, you know, we have to be careful of the environmental factors and the, where we live in our parks and, and our, just everywhere in the world, in fact. And uh, so that these childhood memories don't disappear. Um, and uh, that our children now and future children can experience them. So anyway, synchronous, synchronous fireflies are one of the at least 19 species of fireflies that live in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Uh, and they're the only species in America who, who can, can, as individuals, synchronize their flashing light patterns with the rest of their tribe. So the, um, they, they, we won't know that there's, there is a, the National Park has a, um, a viewing um, schedule. That's usually a couple weeks um, in late April, in, in uh, May through early June. And they will announce that schedule towards the late uh, part, latter part of April. Now, we're not sure if COVID is going to affect that or not, uh, but I think there's some rumors that, it, that it, there will be um, uh, maybe not as dense, uh, not as many people allowed, but there will be uh, a, a lottery, all right, to be able to um, go get tickets. And you can get that, uh, you can enter the lottery uh, on the, because you have to, basically it's a lottery to be in the shuttle because the shuttle takes you around to view this. Um, and it's near Elmont. It's near Elmont's campground in um, Smoky Mountains National Park, uh, and so you can go in late April looking at uh, recreation.gov and, and get yourself some tickets. It includes uh, parking at the Sugarlands Visitor Center, which is in Gatlinburg, and then a, a seat aboard the shuttle. 
On their elk walk, there will be rangers to answer questions and a number of paved areas and trails you can you can take to watch the fire light up at night. It's spectacular. I would definitely recommend it. You know, there's uh, there's a lot of miniature shows all over the Smoky Mountains. You know, fireflies. You know, fireflies are a feature of the Meadowlark Motel all summer long. And in Maggie Valley, we have a lot of fireflies. Uh, we we have some we have some of the synchronized fireflies too. So we get some pretty decent shows sometimes ourselves. So you can come and chance it to see it there as well. So I'm going to talk about foraging for food now in the mountains because there's a lot of festivals and things going on around that. Uh, we're in, in the mountain, Smoky Mountains. We're we're blessed with an abundance of natural products products forged from our own backyards including ramps and morels and chanterelle mushrooms, cauliflower mushrooms and wild berries. Deep in our woods, even before the grass begins to green, our, our culinary ventures can begin. You know, you can collect morel mushrooms from under stands of conifers and in the hollows. And, and even in the, in the first spring rains, ramps are one of the first patches of green on the mountainside. Uh, it's an edible member, member of the onion family. It's uh, been alternately called the wild leek. And it, and it takes its name from a similar plant, the rampion. It, uh, it's actually sort of believed to have the, uh, a spring tonic, you know, a, a sort of a magical potion. Uh, so mountain folks used to look forward to the return of the, uh, the, of the ramp after winter of eating mostly dried foods. I remember it was a big thing growing up in the mountains you know, to have the spring ramps. The thing is, you had to be careful being in school because if you ate too many of them the day before, when you came in, the, the, the smell would come through your pores and you'd stink so bad they'd actually send you home from school. Uh, so it, it was a, it's a delicacy, but it has a, a odor. And so you have to balance how much you eat or just not care about it. Um, it, it has a hint of garlic, but it's sweet. And it works, it's really nice with home cured bacon and the morning eggs. And, you know, I've lately in the last couple of years, I've actually seen some ramps in Whole Foods and, you know, I've had it with morning eggs and had made omelets and stuff with that and surprised people with a really nice flavor. You know, that later in the summer, you know, things come out like the chanterelles, the blank trumpets, and um, lots of varieties of bolletes. Uh, and, um, and you can, um, you can find hedgehog mushrooms and watering pawpaws and, and persimmons and wild crab apples and muscadines and huckleberries and on and on. But uh, remember that uh, you, you do have to be careful picking plants in the Smoky Mountains because it's prohibited. But there are some rules that allow you to pick fruits and berries and nuts and mushrooms. Uh, you shouldn't eat the mushrooms and things if you don't know what they are because uh, they can be deadly. Uh, but there are plenty of tours and festivals and events to scratch your foraging itch. You can, there's some tours you can take um, in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, you can take forage tours. Uh, and, you can, and right now, there's a bunch of tours going on until June 13th. And you can uh, pick foods and herbs. And it's usually like a three-hour off-the-eaten path a tour and where you can discover edible greens, berries, mushrooms, flowers, and nuts and roots. You never know what you might find. You'll wander with the group and the forest, and then you will um, uh, you will find ten to twenty wild foods. 
uh, focusing on ones that you could possibly even find if you're or woods in the background, if you're in the mountains, then you'll, you'll make them into a meal. You'll have a chef show you how to do it. You'll get a book on, you know, on, 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 uh, on uh, how you, how you cook it. And then, uh, then you can, um, you know, have wine and great food and experience. It's really sort of a great experience of being a modern hunter gatherer. So you can go to notastelikehome.org to find out more about that sort of experience, to figure, to, to experience foraging. And uh, I think that you'll enjoy it. When we come back, I'm going to talk about a little bit of things local to Haywood County, uh, things that you can do, uh, including the Winslow Ramp Festival. Howdy, this is Joseph Franklin McElroy. We're back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast. So I was talking about uh, foraging for food and one of the most uh, well-known, locally anyway, uh, 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 natural food that we have in the mountains is the ramps. And I, and I mentioned them before. They're a natural, they're a native wild onion and they're harvested in the spring for the mountainsides. Uh, every year, uh, for 80 plus years, Waynesville, North Carolina has had the Waynesville, North Carolina Ramp Festival. And it's a pretty ex spectacular uh, event for the mountains. Uh, it's, it, it, has, it highlights uh, the, the ramps. It's a native wild onion. Um, and it, they, they, they basically make all sorts of culinary delicious delicacy dishes to, to celebrate the ramps. And, and ramps are so cherished, they were actually featured in Garden and Guns Celebrate the South article, or magazine. So you want, you, they also have music and vendors and all sorts of stuff. It's just a, a large tradition that is, is, it's worth spending time to, to go to it. On uh, this year, I think it's gonna, be, it's gonna be held on May 1st and 2nd. You'll be able to get uh, more information at visit uh, visit ncsmokies.com uh, and Waynesville's near Maggie Valley so be sure to stay at the Metal Arc and uh, we'll help you get to wherever you're going. Another um, festival celebrating the, foil the foraging and uh, things that you can find in the mountains is the Asheville Spring Herb Festival. It's in its fourth decade. And it's from April 30th to, uh, to May 2nd, and it's the largest herb festival in the United States. And this event showcases over 60 vendors with products like herbal medicines, holistic treatments, herbal soaps and shampoos, gourmet cooking herbs, cookbooks, etc. It usually have lots of educational opportunities, you know, uh, you know, various kinds of little courses going on. It's a very popular event. And you can find more about that at the AshevilleHerbFestival.org. Another um, event celebrating, you know, the, um, the foliage of the, the mountains, and, and this is what I could have mentioned earlier, is the Montford, Montford Garden Tour. And it's a historic tour, but it hasn't been held in 17 years. And this year they're having it on June 5th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And it, it is featuring 12 distinct, distinctive Montford Gardens 
uh, and it rain, and it's raising funds for community initiatives. And there's a, there's a, this, the, their gardens are, are pretty spectacular and have a variety of landscapes. And, they, and several of the gardens are in homes that are over 120 years old. And while others are some that are recently bit, built. Um, there will also be live, there'll be also be some, you know, some new ingredients to mix. There'll be live musicians will be performing at many of the gardens, including bluegrass, jazz, <coughs> folk, and classical styles. And there'll be uh, a commemorative oil painting that will be available through silent auctions at the artist's own garden. And you can find out more about this at montfort.org slash garden tour. So I just wanted to highlight a few things going on Maggie Valley. Next week, we'll be talking about Maggie Valley. On April, uh, April 23rd through the 25th, we're going to be doing the annual Southeastern Mini Trucking National. It's an open car and truck show. It'll actually have uh, food vendors and, and, and music and, and part vendors. Um, these, uh, we have a lot of car and motorcycle shows in Maggie Valley because we have a nice festival grounds. But these are all these um, all these shows are actually family friendly. They usually have all sorts of vendors set up with different kinds of mountain foods uh, and and other kinds of culinary delights and uh, vendors selling crafts and and other unique items. Some of them more unique than others. There's always something new to discover. So they're all fun. Uh, the big one is April 30th through May 2nd. That's Thunder and the Smoky Spring Motorcycle Rally. It's the largest and oldest rally in Maggie Valley. Uh, and it goes like three days. Uh, and it has, uh, has tour rides. It's got lots of vendors. It has a bike show. It's got games, prizes, concerts, fire dancers, the latest pipes and products on the, the display. It's got even has a church service. It does, I think it does something where it celebrates the veterans. It has a parade. It, you know, we, uh, a lot of the motels, us included, do our own little, you know, best in show type uh, thing. So it, it's pretty fun and it's uh, uh, worthwhile to go to. Okay, on May 14th and 15th is the KKOA Icon, Icons of Hot Rodding Festival. And these are 1950s and 1960s hot rod and custom car truck and van events uh, for 1969 and older models. And it'll feature 50s and 60s music, vintage vendors of all sorts of stuff from that era, including automotive and uh, things like that. Pinstripers, food vendors will have ju judging awards and trophy, and it's a family-friendly event. One I'm excited about is on May 28th, we're going to have a drive-in concert. This started last year, you know, where people come in like a drive-in theater, uh, with you know the things they can put on their uh, on their window to have the music and there's a live stage but they're in their cars and so it was COVID friendly and then they they have a you know, able to set up a picnic chairs in their own little space have an event they have their own uh, picnic tailgating um, and it's going to be on May 28th uh, the band are too many zoos and big something. Readily, generally run, it's on a Friday on May 28th. It opens at 6, the show's at 7.30. Tickets vary. You can contact the Gray Eagle at 828-232-5800 or uh, thegrayeagle.com to get ticket information. So um, you can find out more about this podcast at gatewaystothesmokies.fun. Um, be sure to go there 
and subscribe to our newsletter so you can be aware of upcoming events and, uh, and information about this podcast and what are the coming upcoming episodes. Now, I want you to imagine a place evocative of motor courts of the past, yet modern and vibrant with a chic Appalachian feel, a place for adventure and for relaxation. Imagine a place where you can fish in a mountain heritage trout stream, grill the catch on a fire and eat accompanied by fine wine or craft beers. Imagine a place with old time music and world cultural sounds. There is no other place like the Meadowlark Motel, Motel in Maggie Valley, North Carolina. We're the starting point for all the adventures and serenities the mountains have to offer. Your Smoky Mountain Adventure starts with where you stay. I own another site called the Smoky Advent Smokiesadventure.com. Smokies is plural, adventure.com. S-M-O-K-I-E-S, adventure.com. And we have there all sorts of information and list listings about the Smokies and books and guides and maps that you can buy or download. Well, we also feature venues and uh, resources. It's an, it, it focuses on outdoor recreation, outdoor life, and also things like weddings and adventures. And also highlights the places to stay, where to eat, all that sort of stuff. Uh, it's, it's, its goal is to be the leading information portal for the Smoky Mountains. Next week, we're going to have Teresa Smith, director of the Maggie Valley Chamber of Commerce on the Gateway to the Smokies podcast. Uh, we'll be talking about the history of Maggie Valley and, and how, how, it's, uh, how its origin and the, the period of, of when Ghost Town was the main thing in the whole area and then how things are going now. And there's a rumor that Ghost Town might be opening again. So maybe we'll get some insight into that. Uh, I look forward to talking to her. We are part of the talkradio.nyc network. On this network are many podcasts, uh, live podcasts every day. There's a good one, I believe, after this about New York. You should stick around and listen to it if you're listening live. Uh, I have enjoyed it. So you've, you've had the mountains. Now you can have the, the, the ultimate urban experience listening to about New York, where I, ha where I live, uh, though I'm uh, down in North Carolina all the time. Um, I appreciate everybody for being here. Tune in next week, same time. You know, it's uh, every two, every Tuesday from six to seven p.m. on TalkRadio.nyc. You can also catch us on Facebook.com/slash Gateway to the Smokies Podcast, where you will see the streaming uh, Zoom live, and you'll see my our faces, my face, or our, and my guest faces when I have guests, and uh, enjoy the experience. So, thank you for. Uh, listening, and we'll see you next week.